I never wanted to be in politics again, but people like Scott Morrison, Josh Frydenberg, and even the state LNP have driven me back into politics and into a new political party because they do not actually live the values uh, of the rank and file of the Liberal Party. Welcome to The Political Animals. I'm your host, Jonathan Cole. I'm Assistant Director of Research at the Centre for Religion, Ethics and Society at Charles Sturt University, and I work in an area called Political Theology, the intersection of religion and politics. My guest in this episode is someone who genuinely needs no introduction, but all guests deserve some introduction, so I'm going to give a formal introduction. I have the pleasure of talking to Campbell Newman, who is the Liberal Democrat Senate candidate for Queensland. He's also the chairman of Arcana Capital, a director and advisor to a number of tech startups. He's a regular commentator on Sky News. And of course, the reason why all political animals in Australia should know who he is, he had the distinction of being a Premier of Queensland from 2012 to 2015. And just to round off the bio, he's also been a Lord Mayor of Brisbane. Campbell, welcome to the show. G'day, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Great pleasure. Now, Campbell, all those people who are familiar with your political career, and you have reached one of the heights of politics, being a Premier of a big, significant state, Slightly weird state for those of us that live outside of it, but oh, we love, steady on them fighting words. We love, we, we love we love Queenslanders. I always think of them as Australia's Texans. You know, absolutely, and I'd wear that one with pride. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there you go. There. Every country needs a Texas, so we're proud of our, our Queenslanders. Well, when I went, when I was premier, I went to Texas. I tried to describe to the Texans what Queensland. And I said, look, think of Texas without the guns. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> they love that. They love yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't, wouldn't that make them sort of Texan wusses because they don't have their AR-15s? Anyway, no, they, they seem they seem to like the the, the analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 I'm, sure, I'm very certain Queenslanders will get along with Texans like a house on fire. Mm. Okay. Anyway, enough about the uh, peculiarities of Queenslanders. Campbell, you're currently running for the Liberal Democrats. Anyone who knows about your career, and certainly everyone living in Queensland, will know that when you were a Premier, you were with the Liberal National Party. And from what I understand about your background, you must have been born with the Liberal National Party imprinted on your soul, because uh, if, I've got, if I understand this correctly, not one, but both your parents <laughs> were involved in the Liberal National Party, and I believe even served in the federal parliament, possibly even in cabinet. So, of course, you're now in a different party. They both have Liberal in the uh, title, but I think it would be fair to say they're political rivals, partly because you're vying for votes amongst a similar or overlapping constituency on the centre-right. Your party is pretty critical <laughs> of the current coalition government. So the question I, I have to start with is why the move? What prompted it? Mm. Well, look, as you said, I've been involved with the uh, coalition um, and particularly the Liberal Party since 1975 as a 12-year-old. Uh, and so my late parents were people who, uh, I guess, were radicalised um, in the 1970s um, because they voted uh, for Gough Whitlam in 1972. 
Um, and I know they did that because that was my first political experience, actually going to the polling booth uh, and seeing them mark the ballot paper. And literally, Gough Whitlam was our local member because we lived in the western suburbs of Sydney. But by 1974, they felt that Gough Whitlam was a disaster, a huge mistake. They joined the Liberal Party. Dad put his hand up for the federal seat of Bass in the northeast of Tasmania. And uh, he won a by-election in July 75. It was, a, it was a landslide. It had been a Labor seat for 26 years. And that's often credited with giving Malcolm Fraser the confidence to, um, you know, uh, do what he did in sort of November, December 75, who then won. So Dad became a minister, a junior minister in the Fraser government. And then in the 80s, Mum became a senator for Tasmania after Dad retired. And uh, he, so she, she then served as the most senior woman in the Howard cabinet. So that's my background. Uh, I then, you know, was involved as a party member for about twenty years, although I'd been always a supporter. And I guess Jonathan's like this that they're not the Liberal Party anymore. Um, you know, we can go and print out the value statement on the Liberal Party webpage. And it talks about all sorts of things about, you know, freedom and liberty. And uh, um, it talks about, uh, you know, reward for individual effort and, you know, supporting small business. And frankly, they're not. And this government headed by Scott Morrison is about big government, big unions, big, big, uh, big business, uh, big expenditure, big debt, uh, big deficit, you know, you name it. Uh, I'm in business. I have been for seven years. I never wanted to be in politics again. But people like Scott Morrison, Josh Frydenberg, and even the state LNP have driven me back into politics and into a new political party because they do not actually live the values uh, of the rank and file of the Liberal Party. And I, I predict if they don't, if the, polit if the political um, wing of the Liberal and the Liberal National Parties do not start to respond to this, they will see... Uh, more people, rank and file, deserting. It's that bad. Um, and I'd like to explore some of these things. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to really get in and defend why I'm saying this. Mm -hmm. But they, they, they really are not. Uh, they're not about uh, what Menzies was about. And we saw a budget handed down last week, which was a, a great Labor budget, an outstanding Labor budget. And Labor were left... <laughs> you know, the funny thing was I think Labor were actually left floundering for, for, for what they could do. In fact... All they could really do is say, well, we'll spend more money on, more money on aged care. Like, yeah. So, yeah, anyway, that long intro there, mate, but I hope that sort of sets the scene for other things you want to ask me. No, no, that, that's fascinating and, and clarifying. Just a follow-up question to draw, tease this out a little bit more. Had you started to lose faith in the Liberal Party prior to the last two years of turbulent, controversial COVID policy, which has really elevated freedom into the limelight and I and I noticed that the Liberal Democrats are really running strongly on this particular issue or was it really during the COVID period and the government response to COVID obviously it's been a coalition government at the federal level throughout that whole period is it that experience that that sort of turned you off the Liberal Party or does it go back further? It does go back further um, COVID though was the catalyst the feeling had been building up over uh, the last seven years. So, well, it, by the time, you know, up to the point I left, it was about six and a half years. So uh, I'd put it like this, that um, 
you know, on the state political sphere uh, scene, I, I saw, uh, De, you know, Tim Nichols, then Deb Frecklington, now David Christopher run away from a very proud track record when they're in government, mm -hmm. when we're in government, but to a point where Christopher Foley now says that the size of the bloated Queensland public service is the right size. Uh, I don't know what they stand for. Do they stand for balanced budgets? Do they stand for getting the debt down? I don't know because this small target poll-driven philosophy has completely, you know, um, sort of ripped the guts out of any any sense of principle. So that was on that, that you know, sort of dimension. But federally, I guess, being in business and being in the financial services sector, seeing um, a federal government, which again, says it's for small business, says it's for competition, uh, I watched them increase the red tape and regulation. I mean, those who are watching today who are in business will now have to have their director ID number. You know, w w when did we hear about that? I mean, I know the argument why it's been brought in, but I don't think we need it. We didn't need it. And they forced people to now interact with the ATO and ASIC and all these agencies electronically. Um, and that's lined the pockets of software companies. If you put your tax return in on the back of, a, of, a, of an A4 sheet of paper, as long as it's correct, uh, and honest and truthful, that should be that should be okay. So, um, you know, you know, I, I guess I didn't expect this from a coalition government. And the final point, very specific, the Hain Royal Commission was meant to be about the banks, but really, what happened was the banks got off scot free, and the the financial industry brokers and advisors, the ones who got it in the neck, mm -hmm. and the recommendations of Hain, which um, Friedenberg has adopted. Um, have seen thousands of financial advisors leave the sector. So now Australians or so-called retail investors who need financial advice can't actually access it and certainly can't access it uh, at an affordable price. It's just perverse and it shows ineptitude, ignorance um, uh, by the government about what really what really the consequences were of, of this of these recommendations. I mean, yeah, I, I, but anyway, that's just an example. So then COVID comes along and Scott Morrison, who once I'd, I'd once held in high regard, proceeded to wave through um, the closure of the borders, you know, vaccine mandates, you know, the coercion that's gone on. He's, he's never stood up for... Uh, for, 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 for freedom and liberty when the Victorian police, you know, resorted to acts of significant violence, I would say, against Victorians. Um, he's uh, allowed um, fragmented, you know, uncoordinated you know, arrangements, if you could even call them that, across the states. He's failed to, to call out the brutality of border restrictions on families. You know, the guy the guy's just just wave this stuff through. And it, it shows that he believes in nothing. And so, um, uh, you know, I, I guess my final point on this is that, you know, across the spectrum then uh, in terms of the, the men and women who are in the coalition, very few of them act from principle, very few of them. Uh, and even those that do, I question, you know, there are people like Matt Canavan who I hold in reasonably high regard, but I'd say to you today, Matt, why are you still in the LNP? It's all very well to say you're against vaccine mandates, 
And I think Stoker, one of my opponents, has said that as well. Well, what are you doing about it? You either believe in them or you don't believe them. If you don't believe them, take a stand. You know, these people want to sort of somehow be in a government that perpetrates this stuff um, and, and, and continue to support that government. But then over here say, well, I don't believe in it. I mean, that's just false. It doesn't work that way and it needs to be called out. Mm-hmm. We might circle back in due course to the coalition again, but let's let's move on in the time being to explore a little bit in more detail the Liberal Democrats because we can, we can understand now <laughs> what they are opposed to and what you personally are opposed to and what sort of precipitated your move. I uh, found it very interesting looking at the Liberal Democrats website, particularly the Our Philosophy section. There probably aren't many punters out there that are into this, but I love the Our Philosophy value sections of political parties because I'm... I'm a bit of a political uh, philosopher, and the political philosopher of the Liberal Democrats is described as broadly classical liberal or libertarian, and the the core principles of the party are described as individual liberty, free markets, and small government, which is already reflected in the the kind of statements you've made, Campbell. And although it says it's broadly classical liberal and libertarian, it goes on to really emphasize the libertarian part and says a lot of interesting things about the libertarian tradition on the freedom manifesto which is the sort of 10 policies that the party's put out to save australia and i'd like to systematically go through those because they're all really really interesting um you know there's the famous reagan quote on the cover of that government is not the solution to our problems government is the problem and there's a line somewhere in the literature forgive me i can't remember exactly uh where it describes government as the principal threat to the core values that the party stands up for. In my view, this is all classically libertarian. And so I obviously you've got liberal in the, um, in the title and libertarianism and classical liberalism, you know, they, they emerge out of the same stream and they are synonymous in some minds. Some people might draw a distinction and I should just note at the outset, for any international listeners, that liberal in Australia really only connotes something on the centre right. It has no left wing connotations in Australia. Absolutely. <laughs> in, in Australia, in case you were, in case you hadn't have picked that up already from from Campbell. And so, you know, my twofold question, I think: one, are you are you a card carrying, dyed in the wool, banner waving libertarian? Is that is that your kind of political ideology slash philosophy? And is the party really a libertarian party or is it a broader kind of tent? You know, I'm curious whether there are sort of self-described conservatives in mm, there. Yeah. Is the libertarian strain dominant? I noticed looking at the candidates, some of them do describe themselves as um, libertarian or is there a kind of liberal, classical liberal, I mean, faction's probably the wrong, wrong word, but maybe strain or stream? Paint a picture for us. Well, well, the party's been around for 20 years, Jonathan, and I think the founder... The founders of the party would have been more the classic libertarian uh, in their outlook, and the party has people who are, you know, quite hardcore, if I can put it politely, in terms of their libertarian views. You know, I might gently think that that some of those views were bordering on anarchy as well. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, but but what point I'm trying to make is that there is. Um, I think a great spirit in this in this party. I feel really comfortable here, and indeed, 
compared to where the Liberal and Liberal National Parties have gone, I'm extremely comfortable in, in the, the Lib Dems. It is actually my natural home, philosophical home. Now, I, I hasten to throw in something that often gets thrown at me. Well, how can Campbell Newman be libertarian when he you know, had this legislation to go after bikies? Well, very quickly, I answer that by saying this. Look, I had a situation I was confronted with, which was a, literally an assault on the state uh, by a criminal group who um, created a... a a huge, you know, furor, a fight in a public place on a Saturday night when people, families were trying to have a, a nice evening's meal. They then fought the police. They then laid siege to a police station and said, let our members out. We had to act. Now, if I had my time again, I probably wouldn't have enacted those laws. I reflected that on a few occasions in the last year. And I say that because I think the police had enough power already. But I guess... When you're in that position and you're the leader, you have to act, and that's why I acted. But do I agree that uh, the laws we put in place were misused by police? Absolutely. Uh, were the events of uh, Victoria in 2021 a particular wake-up call for me in regard to um, misuse of power by police? Absolutely. Uh, but my views always have been within government, actually, getting back to your question, have been quite anti-government. Um, and I can point on the public record to many occasions when journalists put microphones under my nose and said, this has happened. It could have been anything. It, it, like it was even smoking in the Queen Street Mall in Brisbane, which I, which people, I had this huge push against me to ban smoking. And I was, I was very reluctant about that. Uh, often I have said on the public record, do we really need any more laws? We've got enough laws in this country already. Um, so I have a healthy scepticism of the agendas of bureaucracies. I know that um, people in public, the public sector, at senior level, only ever seek to increase the size of their, their of their um, part of the bureaucracy. They always want more money. They're always forever, you know, trying to to get more power as well. Um, and I know that from my time both in the council and overseeing the state government. So. You know, I, this this is very much me. Um, the final point, I guess, on my philosophy is I've always been very much, though, about, like a fiscal conservative. Mm -hmm. That sits really well with me. I've always been about smaller government. Um, and, you know, the, the runs are on the board. They're, indeed, they're always thrown in my face in terms of my time in government. I mean, we, you know, we, we, we retrenched 14,000 public servants and paid them generous redundancy payments. We also, I think, um, did something no other government's done since World War II, spent less in one year than in the previous year um, and showed it could be done because all the vital community services were still delivered. But the other side of the coin for me is, is the social policy side. And my attitude is I don't want people to tell me how to live my life. That's why I backed gay marriage when I was the leader of the opposition in the LNP. That's why I've backed a voluntary assisted dying. Uh, sometimes that sits uncomfortably with uh, the more conservative members, even of the the Lib Dems, and it certainly was. Um, it certainly didn't go down well within the LNP. But you know, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why people feel they have a right to tell other people how to live their lives in, or indeed in their lives. So, you know, that's, that's where I'm coming from. So in summary, yeah, the Lib Dems really do work for me.
Okay. Sounds so. It sounds, you know, whatever you call yourself quietly when you're staring into the mirror, pondering your political career, as you must do on occasion, um, your views broadly fit within this libertarian paradigm. But I take it clearly there's a bit of a diversity of view. I mean, every political party is not a series of robotic individuals that. Um, <laughs> Well, you know, the issue there is, for me, there are people in the Lib Dems, you know, uh, who've been you know, long-term members who think that the bikey stuff was just, uh, you know, way, way, way too, uh, a push way too far and yeah. unacceptable. And why, why would Newman believe that he, he has a place here? And that's, and that's fine. I respect, I respect that point of view. But then again, they haven't been the Premier of the state with, you know, with, with a duty to protect, the, actually literally to protect the community. Yeah. So it sounds like for the more ideologically committed part of the Liberal Democrats, you have committed some libertarian sins in your political. Oh, absolutely! Career. Yeah, some, some, and and you could talk to John Humphreys, our party president, and there was a, there was a, uh, there were certainly people in the party who were like, well, well why, why is, why is he here? Surely he's he's not the right fit with us. But then again, they only knew you know, a very sort of one-dimensional view of Campbell Newman that was presented by the mainstream media, which I think you might want to talk about as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I guess really the, the underlying point, which is kind of interesting, and it makes me want to make a broader point about libertarianism. I kind of wanted to go here later, but uh, let's go here now because it's relevant that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you're the only person running in your current party who has held a... <laughs> position of political leadership in a really significant um, way of managing Queensland with however many millions of people and the huge economy and all of the massive amount of issues that any premier has to grapple with. And obviously, when you're in power, and you you have to, as you say, respond to every single issue that that crops up, um, politics always looks a little different, I imagine, than the armchair ideologues who have the luxury of being pure and and even never having to make decisions quickly. <laughs> Jonathan, to be really glib about it, it's really easy in the cheap seats. <laughs> it's like it, it really is, um, whereas it, it is hard. And, you know, I, I even though I'm a, a, a big critic, as you've already heard of, say, Scott Morrison, uh, or Anthony Albanese, David Christopher, and Palaszczuk, I, I do get, you know, I do get the challenges they face in their roles. And I try, I do try and actually um, be fair about my commentary, particularly in, on podcasts and, and, and yeah. on Sky when considering issues. So the, the sort of more substantive point I want to put to you that comes out of this for me is something I've always wondered about libertarianism. And, and again, I acknowledge as a spectrum. So the common thread running through all libertarians uh, I think it's fair to say is all libertarians believe in smaller government. The question is, do you believe in a smaller government or a tinsy, wincy, tiny, almost non-existent government? And then there's a big spectrum of view in between that. You've already indicated that you've this spectrum is reflected in the yeah. Liberal Democrats. I do wonder whether the further down you get that that spectrum, which does at some point end up in anarchism whether that kind of political philosophy really only works as long as you're never in government because it seems so uncompromising and, dare I say it, so radical and extreme, at least to me as a conservative, that I kind of wonder, 
you know, how on earth this ideological position would survive in office <laughs> if mm. if they had to grapple with this concrete example you did of this sudden incident of bikey violence and clearly you're accountable to people. It's not like you can just do nothing and say, well, I'm a libertarian, so I can't touch the civil liberties of criminals or whatever, whatever the uh, argument is. I mean, do you think there's any merit to that criticism for me that at some there's a, there's a part of the libertarian family that would really struggle actually to maintain the consistency of their the sort of ideological purity well, the cut and thrust and compromise of government. Well, that, that applies to any political party, yeah. uh, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we just talk about the Greens for a sec, yeah. their policies yeah. are totally, you know, uh, can I say this on your podcast, batshit crazy? They really are. I mean, they, they're just complete, you know, ultra left-wing loony tunes whose, whose uh, policies uh, are just so are just so ideologically based and extreme that they are in unfit to play a role in government. I really honestly believe that. In fact, I'd vote for the Labor Party for the whole of the rest of my life rather than vote for the Greens once. Uh, the Labor Party um, have skewed to the left over the last few years and um, you can see the, the, the challenges that uh, Albanese is facing at the moment, trying to get to an election with, without losing people without having a, a fight um, while, you know, you know, people, I mean, he's a left winger himself, but, but there are others that are trying to drag him, keep, keep, him, keep him to the left. Um, so for t- returning to the Lib Dems and, you know, what you put to me, yeah, every, what I'm trying to say is every, every party has its challenges with, within it um, and extremes don't work, Jonathan, because government particularly is about trying to, you know, straddle the issues and keep people, gen, you know, generally on side and happy with where you're going. That is, that's the art of um, democracy. And I suppose um, in 2015, I didn't quite get there. I, I failed that test. But, you know, in terms of what does smaller government mean, for me, it means, um, it means really, it's, for me, it's about efficiency, um, and let me explain. So I, I was a management consultant after I left the army for a few years before going and joining a, a large company in the grain handling industry and having a senior role there. So for me, it's always been about it's my money. You're taking my, you know, you you are literally you are literally taking money out of my wallet. You know, you know, it's state sanctioned appropriation of your hard earned, the least you can do or sorry the least the the least that we can all expect is that it will be spent wisely and in australia today it's not spent wisely and i really roll my eyes when i see economists tell us about for example um, the size of the public sector compared to gdp and other countries or our debt compared to other countries that is that's fraudulent it's it, it it just says we're going to accept benchmarks that themselves are, 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 are sort of paragons of efficiency. So if I now talk to sort of what, what you know, where, where am I coming from? Well, it's the overlap between federal and state and local government. I mean, local government over the last probably 30 years got into social policy. So local government has social workers and community workers who are doing outreach doing things that the state government and the Fed should be delivering. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you then got the federal government with these slush funds that they've set up for MPs reaching down and trying to fund, you know, car parks at railway stations and um, hockey fields and, you know, community centres and the like. That should be local government's job. And so there is lots of waste and duplication and inefficiency. And for me, that's the thing that needs to be, be attacked because it's our money. It's being spent really badly. You know, just to give a, a real example for a moment, you know, we've got a situation where there are regional, you know, rural and regional communities in Queensland that compared to inner city electorates are not well served with community infrastructure. And yet these programs that have been under criticism for pork barrelling are necessarily skewed to, you know, where the, where the numbers are, where the, where the electorates are. So, you know, um, urban areas, Jonathan, are getting that money, whereas rural and regional misses out. And that, that as far as I'm, I'm concerned, should stop. Um, so, yeah, that's just a take on that. So, for me, smaller government is about efficiency. It's about public servants and politicians being held to account. And that's why I'm doing this. If I go to Canberra, I'm, I want to hold politicians but importantly, bureaucrats to account. I will be relentless in applying a blowtorch to people who want to waste our money. And if if, if it should be being done by the state government, my question is always going to be done: be, be why aren't you funding the state, and why you why why aren't you out of the way? Uh, when I was premier, I was trying to get uh, federation reform. Um, with the with the crop of politicians we have to, these days, that's all too hard. But I think COVID, Jonas, as well, even more that we do need, we do need that reform. Why is federation reform so difficult? Everyone knows there are inefficiencies, problems, mm. tensions. There's no one in Australia from any of any political persuasion that I, I can name who says no, no, federation is just bloody awesome. It's working perfectly. Well, so because, why, why, why can... people we've elect- it's because of the it's because of the duds we've elected. <laughs> um, well, well, well try try this. When when I was when I was there um, as premier and discussions with first Gillard and then Abbott, I would have supported a move whereby the states had the ability to actually get um, income tax directly. So I, I, I want to keep this simple, but I I've always had a proposal where um, you could actually have a reform that said that a slice of the income tax from the people in Queensland, um, uh, say the first five cents or 10 cents or whatever it's got to be, goes straight to the state of Queensland. And the ATO track all that by postcode of residents and you, you have a system whereby the state can actually then in the future change that tax rate. So depending on which postcode you live in, which state, the taxes could be higher or lower, but states actually take responsibility. Trouble is we've got premiers, and even back in my time, the other premiers, no, nah, it's too easy to just swan around, blame Canberra, be, be a bunch of uh, kids and not being prepared to, to take responsibility. Um, and it's... It, it, it's it's just it's quite quite awful that, that we have people who actually 
want to be the Premier of a state, but then don't want to actually stand up and be counted. They don't want to take responsibility when it really matters. They do just want to blame Canberra. Yeah, I guess there's a lot of political advantage in being able to do that. Look, uh, I think it's time to get to the Freedom Manifesto. There are just too many interesting things to discuss there on, on, on the way. I think uh, rather than go all through through all 10, as I advertised not too long ago, just for the sake of time, I might focus on the ones I find the most interesting or which um, personally I, I make me slightly nervous, so I'd want to hear... Some are courageous. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, well, yes. I'll tell, you, yeah. I'll tell you one thing, Campbell. This manifesto has the virtue of being very clear. Like, there's no, yeah. like, there is no mystery what the the Liberal Democrats stands for, and I think it is difficult with Labor and Liberals, particularly with the complex factions. And you know, these parties have almost, um, you know, they have different streams or currents of ideas, which are often in opposition to each other, and so you never know exactly what you're going to get. Once the sausage comes out of the um, the machine, well, I watched Jim Chalmers recently at the National uh, Press Club or these address anyway in the last uh, few days. He said nothing. I don't know how long he spoke. Tw- spoke for twenty minutes and answered questions and said nothing. Said nothing. That's their campaign <laughs> campaign strategy, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's like the great great focus group words, you know. Oh, just terrific. Yeah. 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 So the, anyway, you, you go for it, mate. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah. so this virtue, of course, then allows me to really say that some of them make me nervous because it's unusual to actually get such clarity, and they they are they are bold. I would say ballsy. I, I'll grant grant you that. Um. So I mean, the first one is freedom from COVID alarmism, and I'm totally on board with that. And you've already mentioned about the COVID thing, and I've I've aired this discussion on the podcast multiple times so forgive me i might skip over that one i know that that's the the number one and clearly that's a lot of what's driving the liberal democrats and and i will return to this because i i wonder whether you know part of me thinks if this is not the libertarian moment for australia right now then when is it and so i wonder if this is a once in a generation opportunity for parties such as yours but i just foreshadow that as something we might get to later the second one is interesting it's uh recall elections and just a nice two simple lines. It says, recall elections give citizens the power to trigger new elections, keeping power-mad politicians in check. I'd, I would like it if you could just expand, elaborate a little bit on what exactly this is and, and how it would work. And then I'll just throw one concern in there that you can respond to. You know, power-mad politicians, fine, I get that. But... I'm a bit of an equal opportunity basher. And when I look at the citizen body of Australia, I see people drunk on fake news, crazy conspiracy theories, um, all kinds of animosities, ideological dogmas and dogmatisms, um, complete ignorance about p- politics and political processes. Mm-hmm. I mean, as someone who, you know, I worked in the dreaded bureaucracy for 13 years and I live in Canberra. And it's, it's, it's shocking when you go back out into real Australia and, this is forgivable, completely forgivable because why would they understand how things work? But the you realise there's not even a basic understanding of mm. <laughs> what goes on in Canberra. And so I take it from this, you, this is a way of trying to empower 
return a bit of power or, or rebalance power in the hands of the, the citizens. Um, so A, talk me through what exactly sure. the policy is and B, why, why should I want more power in the hands of the citizens given the very dim picture I just painted or am I being way too harsh? Well, I'll deal with the second point first. Uh, you, you know, you, you, you're making you're making an observation I can't disagree with because I've certainly seen it and COVID, we've seen a lot of it. But, mate, they're voters. They're voting right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you can get into the bowels of the internet and find out all sorts of interesting things about me. You know, Illuminati, I'm, I think there was stuff there. My, I've never seen it myself. My daughter told me they say you're a lizard man and all this sort of stuff. It's like, you know, really? <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> okay. So, look, I get all that. But but they're voting now, for starters. Um so yeah, that's just that's just how our system works. But um, the, what this is all about is following uh, what happens in a number of different jurisdictions overseas, where if you and you need a mechanism, and we're not proposing the de- you know we're not solving the detail. This is up for debate and to be formulated. But we're saying that if, for example, you have uh, a certain percentage of the electorate legitimately signing a petition and saying, we're unhappy with the current regime, uh, we want another election, you can actually force an election. Now, it's happened in California. Uh, for example, Schwarzenegger won uh, the governorship of, of California years ago uh, on the back of a recall election. Uh, they have it uh, in uh, some parts of Switzerland that you can do that. Uh, and, and, and tacked onto this is this idea of, of uh, you know, citizen initiated referendum as well, which I'm not as keen on, I've got to say personally, but I think the recall election idea is a, is, a, is a powerful one, an important one. It would have been, for example, something that might have been able to be deployed against Daniel Andrews in 2021 uh, when he was doing some of the terrible stuff that he was doing. So it's, it's just allowing people to actually um, deal with a bad government. Uh, it's also something that hangs over the politicians thinking, well, I'm not safe for three years or four years or whatever it is. So I I think, you know, if appropriately um, considered and implemented, it could be quite a powerful and and positive tool in Australia. Okay. Fascinating. Uh, Next one's about lower taxes, which is uh, sort of grist for the libertarian mill. And I know, Virtually nothing about tax, so I'm just going to politely well, skip over that one. Well, look, unless you want just, to say something. Well, I do very, very quickly. We're proposing a few things there. So we're saying, look, you know, we, we have a system to, in Australia today which means that people in middle Australia are actually on relatively high levels of tax. So the money's taken away at sort of, you know, in the, in the upper 30 cents in the dollar marginal tax rates, even getting into the 40s. You know, people who are fly and fly out workers in uh, even people um, who work on major construction sites, say, in this state, uh, are actually getting into the top tax bracket. Some of those people, you know, some, there's some blue-collar workers who are paid, you know, above 180K. It's it's serious money. So they're taxed. Half of it goes in tax. So, But meantime, the government's giving back transfer payments in various ways. We're saying, you know, those transfer payments should go. The tax rate should be dropped dramatically to 20 cents in the dollar, but only kick in after the tax-free threshold of $40,000 is reached. And we're also saying the company tax rate should be dropped to 20 cents in the dollar and thereby 
you know, incentivizing people in their businesses, but also removing the big fiddle, which is people who run small business, you know, are constantly sort of juggling about, do they leave it in the company? Do they take it out and cop the tax themselves? And there's a lot of, I suppose, unproductive activity that goes on, you know, managing people's tax bills. You know, so let's get some harm, harmonization there. So we, we believe that um, based on the, and this is an economic sort of uh, theory, the Laffer curve, that we're beyond the point of maximum uh, taxation. In other words, we've got we're in a situation of diminish, diminishing marginal returns for people's for, for for literally the tax take. And if we if we actually had a lower tax rate, we'd encourage the economy to grow and take more money overall. All right. So you you think that uh, this policy will not reduce the overall tax income of the federal government, it will increase it because it will turbocharge the economy and thus what corporate will be more corporate well, tax? Or? We believe it's not a, a direct... Like, if, if this was modelled by Treasury, um, what they would simply do is apply the new tax rate and they'd say, oh, huge gap. Now, no doubt income will go... You know, uh, sort of income tax revenue to the government will go down. But the other... The flip side of this as well is that... Um, we're also talking about cuts to Commonwealth government departments. Oh, of course. Yeah. So savings as well. But um, the thing about it is the modelling that the Treasury would traditionally have done is they'll just say we'll just run the numbers on a lower a lower tax rate. See, look at the look look at the revenue leakage. That's not what happens according to Laffer, and I believe that furiously. Um, because according to Laffer, you actually do then see a stimulate you, you stimulate activity uh, and enterprise. People choose to work the extra few hours of overtime because they're going to actually take more home. It's that sort of thing. So it's not just a direct loss based on the change in the tax rate. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to keep this. I'm trying to keep this simple. And anyway, we've got John Humphreys, who's an economist, who's the president of the party, and he he'd be the real guy to talk about the detail of this. Yeah, look, I've I've got a confession to make. I mean, I, mean, I find economics to be a form of witchcraft because, or, or maybe even a kind of strange religion with different sects and denominations and schisms yes, and reformations. Absolutely. Because for someone who's not an economist, and I'm, and I'm not an economist, so I don't have any, I, I lack all of the technical training. And everyone's, you know, there are different, obviously there are different theories. It's all based on certain assumptions that you have to do. That's the only way to do economic modeling. And it, it all feels like a lot of, faith-based predictions of if we move this lever, tweak this, lower this, um, increase this, you know, the humans respond in a certain way and then we can be certain about a certain income in, in the future. It's not that I... Well, 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 yes, and, and there, there is that. That is the case. But I guess I'm having a deliberate shot at people in Canberra managing our economy. And why do I say that? Because, okay, very quickly, it's a bit off... This is going down in one of those rabbit holes. But look, you know, people who live in the real world like me and run businesses knew in March last year that inflation was coming. Mm-hmm. So we had the head of the Fed in the US, Powell, saying, no inflation, no inflation, no inflation, not happening, not happening, not happening. Oh, it's transitory. It's transitory. It's transitory. Oh, look, well, maybe it's higher than we thought. And in Australia, we've had the same thing from the RBA and Treasury. Not happening, not happening, not happening, not happening. Transitory. Oh, look, it's under control. And even now they're not raising interest rates. 
And when you pump this sort of money into the economy, you're going to cause inflation. I mean, I'm a student of history. I, I mean, to take the extreme example, the Weimar Republic, Weimar Republic, you know, where they went on a money printing escapade. And we have debased the currency. And uh, I, I guess the other thing that I find quite breathtaking about people supposedly running our economy is, you know, why, why was I an inflation hawk in my business a year ago? Why did we start, why did we start ensuring that uh, on commercial leases that we went for where possible CPI reviews in leases on, on tenants, tenants' rent? Because we knew that it was coming. And why do we know it was coming? Because we talked to people. And because, you know, when, when you go to a function like I did in May last year and he, talk to a, uh, an importer of uh, roof uh, framing timber for houses, and he says it's gone up 40, 40%, you know, you know there's going to be a problem. So, you know, I, that, that's what I think about the people running the show. At the moment, I, I would take their advice. So this is the thing about experts, like it's COVID as well. You take their advice, but you get your, if you're a political leader, you take their advice, but you also go and find other sources of advice. You talk to other people rather than just supposed experts. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. It's obvious I'm not going to ever win an economic argument with you because you know too much. Well, well, I, well I don't. I don't pretend to be economist, but I te- but I but what I do do is I work in the real world. I actually yeah. run a yeah. business and I look after. You know, I at the moment my, my colleagues and I uh, and, and young employees we're looking after quite a lot of money for our investors, and we take that we take that responsibility really really seriously. I mean, the, the government and and ASIC impose significant legal responsibilities on us but we we see it's an ethical thing it's 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 this money is with us on trust and we've got to get it right so we've got to look at what's going on in the real world i wish politicians and bureaucrats treated my money your money like that and 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 sadly they don't i mean it's interesting campbell you say you're not an economist but in a way you are because by virtue of being in business you you have a, a visibility and an insight into an important part of the economy that actually a lot of people don't have. And I'm in this boat because I'm an interesting contrast. You know, I've spent the last eight years working at a university, which is, of course, publicly funded in Australia. And, you know, I get a wage, but I'm a researcher, so I don't have any responsibility or involvement really in the, the budget of the overall university. And even then, it doesn't teach you much I would argue about the real economy, so-called, because of the strange funding model we have in Australia. It's not actually run like a a business, and so there are. And then you add in the public servants; it was a similar kind of thing. In, in a funny way, I mean, obviously you, you're in the economy in a real sense, in that it's all, it all, the money's all going in and being spent, and you're being paid, and you're paying your tax. And but I guess my point is, there are many, many people who working jobs that really teaches you nothing about say the free market or what it's like to run a business or the kind of decisions so like if for me working in the university i'm never going to see inflation coming like you did (laughs) because why would i Mm. well look i think what you've put on the table and you're very generous to acknowledge it is is the trouble is that there's that so many people today in australia aren't in what i would call the real economy um 
and that's not particularly fashionable to say that. Um, and I'm not saying that to be, you know, judgmental or no, as a slur on people. But at the end of the day, you know, a, a nation has to earn its way in the world. And we've seen with the Ukraine invasion that it's a nasty, tough, brutal, quite terrifying world as well. It's been there's been a there's been a period of benign um, peace for for most of us for so many years. And now we see all the ugliness that's out there. And you know, if we don't export things that people want to buy and have businesses that deliver real products and services, we don't we don't have this standard of living. We we actually don't. It's it's you know the public sector's part of the economy, but it's not the bit that's actually it, it's the bit that's relying on you know what what the the real world economy is doing. Campbell, one of, one of the uh, policies to save Australia is on the debt and deficit. And I'm particularly interested in this one because this is where I see what I would describe as a bit of libertarian ideology, which I'll, I'll explain. No, that's fair enough. Um, you go for it. Once an immediate, you know, it, your party's position is an immediate 10% cut in government spending, bar defence, which I'm glad to see. Although personally, I want I want a defence force that is twice the size that it currently is for geostrategic reasons. But setting that aside, and then an additional one percent per annum cut until the Commonwealth debt is repaid. The the reason I say, look, I'm not because I'm not a libertarian. I'm kind of agnostic on the size of government. That is, I'm not. I, I don't share the kind of affront and offence that some libertarians do about you know government's stealing my money through taxation and, and all that. I'm kind of, I, I haven't, this is a very conservative, traditional conservative position from the sort of Burkean, um, Kirkian line. It's that government for me is just the size it needs to be. And obviously, you know, if you have a country of over 300 million people like America, your government's going to have to be <laughs> a lot bigger than Nauru with only 10,000 people. Now that I've worked in the public service, so I know, and I don't need to tell you this as the famous premier that slashed and burned the bureaucracy. I know there's lots of dead weight. I know it's impossible to fire the dead weight. They just get shunted around and moved off where they draw generous salaries for doing crap or there's plenty of incompetence. And I, I know, you know, you can always find cuts around the edges. That that bit is clear to me. And, you know, perhaps some whole departments would go. But when I see a figure like 10%, I, I, that is actually a very significant cut to the government, and I want, and I, I can only assume that would have to touch some services somewhere. I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical that you would get to ten percent just on efficiency mm. alone. And I, the reason why I say ideologically is clearly libertarians are coming from the sort of presupposition that big government is a kind of problem. For some people, libertarians, it's a moral evil. For other, it's just more about efficiency and and outcomes as i've said yeah 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 and i think you're probably more in that in that that boat perhaps that sound sounds like but the the 10 percent just it feels like an arbitrary ideological thing where it the thing driving it is the prior view that it is always better for government to be much much smaller and then once we've made that decision we'll work out where to find the cuts rather than it being look, we've really done a careful analysis of all of the government services, the number of workers, and we think 
we can find a bit of cuts here and there. Like I suppose what I'm saying is I, I'm skeptical, and you're free to uh, convince me here hmm. that you get to ten that that you could get to ten percent just through starting with a sort of open-minded analysis rather than a more ideological position that the goal has to be to start with a much smaller government because that's our, our entire identity and reason for getting in politics. Like that Reagan quote, you know, mm. government. Well, I, think I, I put it, I'll, I'll be quite upfront. It's you've got to have a target. That's yeah. the way I yeah. stare. And this is, this is a significant target. And the trick to it is to do it without, as you said, hurting frontline services. And, and you believe that's possible? Well, I do believe it's possible. Uh, I'll give you an immediate example. We have a federal environment department. Why? <laughs> so you'll you'll you can the entire thing. Well, 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 why do you have it? You've got a state. The states are sovereign states. They have their own environment departments. And by the way, you know they do a good job, and they're full of activists who actually have come from things like the Wilderness Society and. You know, uh, Australian Conservation Foundation. You know, they're 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 there to to stop stuff. I kid you not. I mean, I, offline I can even name the names. Okay, particularly in this state. So, the, why isn't the if we've got to have a federal environment act, delegate it totally to the states? Have a very small um, unit in Canberra that is there to ensure that um, it is being uh, administered properly, more like a you know an order to general function for environment, but then not have that environment department. Why do you need it? It is, it is total role goal duplication. Uh, another example would be in the area of education. Um, you have a massive bureaucracy that doesn't run any schools. It's dispersing money to the states. Really, uh, well, it's it's dispersing money to the independent school system. Um, you know, health, health's another example. They don't run any hospitals. They're administering, you know, I acknowledge they're administering Medicare. There's so much opportunity for reform. It's, it's not true. And by the way, just on a, as a health issue, I mean, there are all sorts of games played between, you know, the, the costs of primary health care and then the secondary and tertiary systems you know, administered by the states, where the states seek to, to cost shift to the Commonwealth and vice versa. Uh, there's also games played in Queensland uh, and probably other states, I don't know if it's still going on, where when a person who was a private a private health patient walked into a, a Queensland public hospital, if they fessed up because they had asked them, it was a procedure, if were they a private health patient, straight away they were then, even though they're entitled to free treatment in that hospital, you know, the state was then essentially trying to get money back off private health funds. I mean, it just goes on. And the point about this is you need targets, you need to embark on reform, but it's got to be done properly. If there was a mistake that some of my ministers made was that they, they had cuts that to make, and they, instead of getting into the detail with their director generals, they were gamed. By, because, the, by the bureaucrats? Or? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they're not necessarily by the directors general, but down below them, people, people uh, played, it, played the game for all it's worth throughout the, 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 the sort of senior rungs into the middle, middle management of the public sector. 
So they did things deliberately that would be politically unpalatable. Uh, they protected people who shouldn't have been protected, who were in, in you know, you could safely say in the, the overheads uh, and uh, played it. But, you know, we did a pretty good job of, of doing that. And I, I'll again make the point, and the Labor Party loved to talk about this, and I want to get this in. We provided generous redundancy packages to 14,000 people who weren't doing jobs that were essential to service delivery at the front line. Nevertheless, we had the best performing hospitals in the nation, the best surgical wait times by the time we were uh, booted out of office. We had no ambulance ramping. Crime had gone down 15 to 20% on the major crime categories. Uh, the fire brigade still turned up when there was a problem. You know, I, I can point to all, all the stats. In contrast, it now appears, and I don't have the figures to hand, but I am being told by people that Palaszczuk has now forced more than 14,000 people, public servants, uh, out of, forced them out of the, the public sector because they wouldn't get a shot. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so just think about that for a sec. So 14,000 people, redundancies, treated properly, whereas this Labor government has actually said to people, you shall not work because you won't get a shot. And they've been forced out. No ifs, buts, maybes, no redundancy package. They're gone. And they've, they've booted more people out than I actually laid off. So that's telling. You know, this is politics in Australia in 2022. You know, uh, I bet the media won't cover that or make that comparison. But that as is uh, something that looks clearly to be the case now. Yeah, that, that is an interesting comparison. It kind of makes Palaget, in a strange way, a de facto small government libertarian, albeit through a very perverse um, <laughs> way of getting the... <laughs> oh, I, I, think, I think, well, I would object to that. that, that <laughs> That's probably very I'm offensive sure too. He, I'm sure he would too, mate. But it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just, yeah, she, she wouldn't, you know, like our, our Premier wouldn't even confront the issue, wouldn't even be prepared to discuss it. I raise that because the Labor Party love to raise... Um, the Newman government. I mean, mate, I make a joke here, but it's like the way they talk about it. Even people like Jim Chalmers at the federal level, you know, it's like there were there were camps, there were rests at night, balaclavas, dogs, searchlights, choppers overhead. You know, people being tracked, the people being arrested without uh, warrant. That was 2012 to 2015. You know, which sounds more like Victoria in 2021, I might add. But I thought that's what you were talking about for a moment. Yeah, well, that's what they, they, they were. I always joke, I thought there were bad times in Queensland 2012, 2015, Jonathan. Bad things happened. Yeah. You ask people what? Oh, oh, well, I, I don't know, but it was bad. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. We might circle back to that. I keep getting a list of things that I say we'll circle back to, but probably won't. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> We'll, we'll never get there, mate. That always happens in the long-form <laughs> podcast. The Just maybe a couple more from the Freedom Manifesto to finish off because there's a really curious one called Decentralised Education that I want, I want to tease you out more on because it's, it's this. I work in the ed, higher education sector and it, it's very interesting. And really what, you, what the party is calling for is greater competition in school choice and also a different funding model where you fund students rather than institutions. These yeah. are both very interesting ideas. What do you, what, 
do both of them mean? Well, let's start with the the, 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 the latter one, which is funding the students. Um, I'm I'm quite excited about this um, because the this this is something that the education unions, if if they decide to have a go, will just go nuts over. They'll, they'll hate this. Um, but the precedent has been set, and the precedent is the National Disability Insurance Scheme, which Labor brought in. Uh, and for those who, who are not in, in the know on that or are watching from overseas, so we have a national scheme where people with disabilities get um, get supported in this country, and it's now been around for about uh, eight years, had quite a few teething issues, but it's a very comprehensive scheme by world standards. What happens is that the person with a disability is assessed and they get a funding package. They get the money. They get a budget. They then get to decide who looks after them. And that was not the case before. Previously, you know, there'd be a very there'd be organizations that would have looked after people, say they were, you know, paralyzed. They would have they would have there might have been an organisation in their, their their city or their town that would provide services to them, and they were tied to them. Not now. Now the person with a disability and their family supporting them has the choice of who who they get to to provide services to to the person with a disability. So that's what we're saying here. The funding goes to the parents, so everybody like gets a voucher, and they can decide where they're going to go to go send their child to school uh, and very quickly. So that then allows us to segue into the bit about competition. Well, you know, maybe there'll be a whole lot of parents who'll say Shh, to the state system and go to independent uh, and Catholic schools. Uh, and a lot of parents are going that way now, which again infuriates the education unions. I say have a long, hard look at yourselves because people are voting because they don't like the standard, the standard is not good. It is not good enough. Um, and they want also parents want value-based education. Um, they don't want children um, in their first year or two of school having to go into classrooms and hear about, you know, have a day where we, we hear about, um, you, know, you know, some sort of bit of social engineering. So those concepts are really important. I'll just add one thing. When I was Premier, we set up independent public schools which allowed certain schools in the state system, we went through a bit of a process to actually have a degree of autonomy. Uh, they had, we set up school boards with the principal and, and, and parents um, and representatives from the community to actually run the schools um, more autonomously. And that was very popular. Again, the Labor Party and the unions have tried to get rid of them, but there are some that are still around, I'm pretty sure. That's really uh, interesting. I want to ask a question uh, about morality because uh, that, that came up a bit before. You mentioned how you were, you're sort of in the, um, uh, oh, I want to call it socially progressive, but that's probably a dirt, might yeah. be a dirty term in your vocabulary. But No, not at all. Are you no, not, no I, 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 I'm quite happy. Okay, interesting. I'm quite happy with it. So yeah, There are people around me who are, are concerned about it. Right. But, uh, but I'm happy with that. So, you I mean, the, within your sort of party context, you're at the, the uh, I take it you're at the sort of very progressive end on the social questions. And I, I take it you probably got some more socially conservative people in there. Is that right? 
that'd be the case, absolutely, Jonathan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think and there's one... supporters of mine right now who don't agree with my yeah, yeah. progressive views. Yeah. Um, I've, and, I've and, met... you haven't, and you haven't asked me about drugs, for example. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, that's a, that's a classic libertarian thing. But but I, I'm going to ask you about a, a sort of a controversial matter. But it's not drugs in just a moment. Mm. But I, but I know this firsthand. I was having dinner with sure. some people I won't name. Uh, who are actually in the public eye last night, and and these are conservative Christians, and, mm. and including one Queenslander, and, and the the line was, you know, loved Campbell Newman as premier, but you know got a real problem with a whole shopping list of social mm. Uh, mm. questions, and this 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 is germane because I think where conservatives and libertarians slash classical liberals. I think where their greatest divergence is is this obvious question of morality and social issues. So my my view as a conservative, and I'm Christian as well as my listeners will know, of the sort of libertarian view of the world is it looks like when it comes to a, a lot of moral questions, they want an agnostic state that takes no position and that moral decisions are left to the individual within limits of obviously yeah. serious crimes like murder and rape and things mm. that that harm other people but if it's smoking gambling drugs um you know different sexual orientations whatever these are just not matters that a, that a state should have any view on and should have any a government should have any involvement on yeah the difficulty is that the conservative particularly if they're coming from a religious conservative view it has very definite views on the big moral questions because that's kind of <laughs> essential yeah. to what it means to be a religious um, person. And it's not that they want the state necessarily to sort of go down some me- medieval path where, you know, the police come in if you're having a one-night stand with someone and we, we imprison you. But on some key moral matters, they, they really do take a big stand and – in our current climate, for a whole host of reasons, we don't need to go into, particularly for the religiously conservative, these issues are like front mm. and center. These are the major yeah. defining uh, issues of our time. Do you agree with that depiction of what I regard to be the most significant different difference of approach on social moral questions between conservatives and um, libertarians and what would you say to a potential conservative voter who loves your COVID policy, mm. uh, loves, you know, they can get on board with debt and deficit and, you know, interested in a lot of it, but for mm. whom euthanasia, drugs, uh, I mean, same-sex marriage, that boat has sailed, but mm. say religious freedom, that's a massive issue mm. for conservative voters. And that that's one thing I'd love to hear your personal view on that. Uh, as a more socially progressive person, whether you think there is a problem with religious freedom and a need for some... Well, 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 well look... Um, That's a lot, I know. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I don't know where to start there, Jonathan. I, it's, well, the first thing I'd say is, to, to the sort of conversation you're alluding to, is it's like, the first thing is, look, you've got to look at the actual person. You know, you've got to make a judgment about the person. And it's like, when I was... Premier, uh, notwithstanding what I'd said about uh, you know, my support for gay marriage, when we actually got in, because I was in a democratic party who had a particular stance on on uh, you know uh, gay marriage, 
what had happened is Anna Bly had actually um, created civil unions. And what, what we did is we wound that back. Now, we didn't get rid of it completely. What, what we did is we removed the parts of that legislation that sought to emulate traditional marriage. It didn't stop people who were gay from going and finding a celebrant who would actually have such a ceremony. But we, we, took, we took that out. So the point I'm trying to make here is that there's, there's, there's what I believe and what I will talk about, but then there's what I will do when I'm in government or, or in, in elected office. And what I'm saying is the idea that I'm then going to be in the federal Senate being um, uh, someone who's pursuing um, these social issues with um, energy is, is ridiculous. I'm not. I'm just not. Mm -hmm. Because in a way, that's almost my libertarian, uh, my libertarian view coming through in that it, it's, 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 it, it's just not something that I see as the reason for me being there. The, the reasons that I want to be there are to actually attack this issue about um, the economy and our, our, our whole approach to government and the efficiency of government. I'm not there on my white charger to stand up and um, go after these, these other social issues. I'm just, that's not a priority for me. Yeah. It happens to be what I believe. I'm being honest enough to say what I believe, but that's not where I'm, where I'm coming from. Um, you know, I, I, you know, when, I guess that, that's the only way I can describe that. But, you know, I'd also make the point that, that people of that view, that socially conservative view, need to be very careful about where, what they end up with because, you know, they can, go, they can go with people who mouth what they want to hear but then in government don't deliver. <laughs> I'm not going to name names, but there's a whole stack of them in the LNP. How'd that work out? Well, they can go with someone like me and they know what they're actually going to get. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really important. And, you know, they'd be, frankly, they'd be, you know, uh, I don't know how quite the way to put this, but they'd be frankly wise to back me. Yeah. They really should be. They actually should be backing me. And, I mean, their view of religious positions on things are, is, 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 is still, by the way, able to be argued. For example, voluntary assisted dying, right, is something that I put my name to and supported in the last few years here in Queensland. The reason I particularly did was the experience of my own mother and particularly the views of my own mother. So um, we probably don't have time to go through this now, but my mother died of Alzheimer's. Uh, she had been someone who supported VAD um, and had spoken in the parliament about it and crossed the floor in a vote in her own government when she was the senior female in the Howard government. And I can point to her words from that time and I can point to what happened to her. And that's why I've come to a position which is that, that at the end of the day, one of our most fundamental rights is whether we choose to live or die. Um, if you want my views on abortion, though, if we flip to another issues, the, 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 the abortion laws that were brought in by the Palaszczuk trad government are abhorrent. Mm -hmm. Okay, late-term abortion is, is, is hideous and grotesque yeah. and, and evil. And I have no problem saying that. 
But let me tell you particularly why. You know, they, people, they, those activists carry on about the woman's right. Well, I always say, what about the right of the other person involved in this whole thing? The unborn child. Mm. So, you know, I, I, people really need to look at my perspectives across various issues, what I've said, what I've done, uh, and, you know, um, and take them, take, them, take them one by one to really understand where I'm coming from. So, you know, there's just a sample. Yeah. yeah. Uh- you know, I mentioned religious freedom. I just want to draw you out. Oh, again. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, on, on that too. Well, yeah. Again, there's where the coalition swept it. Um, the the approach I sort of take that starts with our overall thought about freedom, which is um, a constitutional amendment, shamelessly, you know, hijacked from the U.S. Constitution, guaranteeing you know free speech and etc. Um, and and just literally plonking that in our constitution. It served the Americans well. So I think there is a need for religious freedom to be protected in this country. I have no problem. I have I have no problem with that whatsoever, and I'll be a supporter of that. Um, and, you know, I, I guess people need to, people again need to weigh that up. You know, I, I, I really do. Okay, just out of interest, because this... This is a burning question for at least a part of my audience. I don't know yeah. how big, but you know this comes up all the time. And you may have seen the article in the Australian this morning that the Australian Christian Lobby is um, doing a targeted campaign against yeah. five members of the coalition that, um, that, as you say, squibbed, destroyed, annihilated yeah. that yeah. that effort. So this is a, a, a sort of paramount um, issue and a lot of conservative Christians feel vulnerable and concerned. You know, we can have a debate mm. about whether their perception is correct, but this is the the climate. Uh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't expect to find religious freedom in your, your 10-point plans to save Australia, yeah. but does the party have a position on this religious freedom issue or a, a policy? Well, that's the, that's the policy document. You know, Jonathan, that that is it. That that's the sweep for this for this election. So you know, I, I don't know what other people's views are. They've, they've chosen not to put that in yep. in the document. Yep. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But, um, can I make another point though about what you just said about the yep. the 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 uh, ACL position? Sure. And I understand their anger there, but I'd make another point. Um, when I was in government, I had probably people of that sort of ilk come and see me and essentially threaten me as the member for Ashgrove that they would campaign against me because we didn't get rid of the um, uh, the civil unions thing in out, outright. Mm-hmm. And basically I kicked those people out of my office. Um, and the reason I kicked them out of my office is, A, I didn't like to be threatened, but B, um, I, 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 I thought it showed no understanding of politics now i'm not sure how what they actually did at the end of the day but i'll say this i lost narrowly Mm -hmm. right Mm. so look what they got they got vad okay they got a government that put vad through they got a government that put through those abhorrent uh abortion laws so you have to be careful with how how you how you conduct yourselves um, as, a, as, a, as a lobby group, and I'm I'm not saying they shouldn't do it, but I think they should think about what they might get. Do, do they want do they want a left winger 
to get up or a, a masquerade as an independent in those electorates. It's, it's a really difficult decision, but I'd urge them to consider that because you've you got to be careful what you wish for. Yeah, I think that's a fair a fair yeah. point. I, I I did wonder that myself, although I, th- I suspect the strategy, if we're talking about the, the sort of current ACL strategy, I mean, clearly, if that campaign's successful, it may spell the end, the doom for the coalition. I don't know what the prospects of yeah. success is, but I think their view might be, well, look, we know Labor is going to be no good for us on issue X, Y, and Z. The coalition currently is no good, but at least if we smack them the next time around, they might take our views into more consideration. And I'm not saying that is a... I mean, I just suspect that's the strategy. We, whether it's a good one or not, I don't know. But Well, well I, I'd recommend always to, to groups that you've got to keep the lines of communication going and, and dialogue. Um, you know, I've given you an example. You know, you know my advisors might watch this and go, God, well, why'd you say that, Cam? Well, I think people need to know. Yeah. You know, people walked into my office and threatened the Premier of the day who, who told them to get out and maybe they campaigned against me and yeah. saw me kicked out and then what happened? It, it, do, if, if that was the case, do they take responsibility then? Do they do they understand that they have to take some responsibility because they helped get a government that's then gone and done that? We would have never done that. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, so so that's, that's what can happen. By the way, you haven't asked me if I believe in God. Oh well, I, yeah, I I wasn't actually going to ask that because it well, feels yeah. like a private question. Yeah. But well, I, I don't mind. I do. Well, oh, you indeed, do believe in God, do you? I do, and indeed, um, you know, I, that that's very much the, my upbringing. And I guess when we were talking about those issues before about my mum, my mother was deeply religious. Oh wow! So I have people say from the ACL telling me that that VAD is bad, it's, it's, it's a terrible thing, it, and, and that comes from their religious belief. Well, here's someone who went to church all the time, who was deeply religious, profoundly religious, um, who actually had a completely opposite view. How do you, how do you weigh that up? So uh, I, I say to the ACL, there are other points of view with, amongst the Christian, uh, among, amongst Christians. And anyway, back on my beliefs, you know, I can't abide the Anglican Church anymore. Was that, was that it, the family tradition, Anglicanism? It was, yeah, yeah. and because uh, the Anglican Church is stacked full of progressives. Well, it certainly is in but, Queensland. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but they're not just progress, socially progressive. They're progressive, progressive. You know, we all, you know, we, you know, we, we, we really, you know, capitalism is bad, people. Mm-hmm. You know, like la-la land progressive. So I have no, I have no desire to, to enter an Anglican Church anymore. But I can tell you now in this household, we say grace every night and we pray for people that we care about who are in, in our families, in our, in, in, in our networks and mm-hmm. people, people who, are, who are ill. And I don't mind saying that. Um, and, and every night. Yeah. So, so, I mean, would you describe yourself as a Christian then? Yes. All right. Absolutely. And, and one of the most important things I think about it as well, though, is you know, and one of the worrying things about where we are in Australia is, and again, this is where, again, I'm, I mean, I'm really pitching this hard today, about people like the ACL really need to look at long and hard at these things. I support our Judeo-Christian bedrock of our, our government, our law, our, 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 our business culture, um, 
it's all in there. I, I absolutely, I'm a defender of all that. But you got you can go for people who actually don't care to to hoots about. You got a prime minister who who is um, sort of uh, put himself out as a Christian, but won't devour, doesn't believe in defending values. Mm-hmm. He, he thinks there's another and free speech and squibbing religious freedom thing. So yeah, this my my pitch today to you to anybody, well through you to anybody who's watching, is you can. You know, you've got to actually work out who the good guys are. I'm one of the good guys because I'm telling you how I feel and about these matters and what I will stand for. I will absolutely defend, um, you know, the great institutions of this country, which are based ultimately on our Christian tradition. What about all these others? They're just filthy, filthy pragmatists who... You know who who will who will um, sell them out sell them sell it, sell out uh, all those traditions. Yeah, there's also the common problem of um, conservative Christian politicians right across the world struggling to walk the walk of their faith. <laughs> if oh, you yes. know what I mean. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which oh, kind, yeah. kind of uh, undermines the whole enterprise. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say this, Campbell. You're definitely refreshingly honest for a politician. I kind of can't even think of you as a politician in, in my mind. And this is one reason why I've got to be honest. I I really hesitate to in, invite any politicians onto this show because I, I see them on Q&A and insiders. I know it's just partly the journalist's fault because they, they, you know, David Spears loves to do this on insiders. You ask a question, everyone in the country who knows anything about politics knows that politician cannot answer because it, they're not the right minister or it's clearly clearly something they can't reveal. And then it, the journalist just keeps hammering them over and over again to make it look like they're being dodgy because they can't answer a question that the journalist knows they can't answer, yeah. like in any way. Been there, been there, done that. Just on the, the polls, because you've mentioned it a, a mm. couple of times. I mean, I assume when you were a Premier of Queensland, you must have had polling and it's got to be of some use yeah. because you, you do... The moment you win election, there's another election coming down and you have to, mm. you're not going to win an election being blind to what's going on. But so what is, in your view, the appropriate way to use polls and how do we get out of the overly poll driven mm. politics? Because yeah. it's also in the coverage, you know, the, the constant poll talk, which seems largely irrelevant until maybe a few weeks out from an election or perhaps in the campaign, it just drives so much. It seems like maybe it's a stretch to say the polling has downed a couple of prime ministers, but it's certainly a factor. Yeah. Well, well, well. Here's well, here's my position that the polls are there. They're like um, they're like um, uh, the speedometer in a car. It tells you how fast you're going. If you need to speed up or slow down, they're a guide, but it doesn't it doesn't change the way you choose then to drive the vehicle, or it shouldn't change, or the you know so. Politicians have a responsibility to actually try and shape the narrative and lead and confront things that aren't right. And that can actually be done. And, uh, you know, I'm coming from a position where I didn't quite get there. I I accept that. But, you know, when I lost in 2015, we lost with a primary vote of 41.3%. The context to that is that Morrison won in 2019 with a national primary of 41.4. So, you know, it's all about the preferences or whatever. You know, who you was a hero, Newman's a loser. 
you know so it, it, it that's the way these things happen and the narrative um, the narrative is is different in, in each case but the, the point I'm making is that well well chosen words from political leaders can shift the debate this isn't quite the same thing but I think it illustrates the point in the 2011-12 election campaign Bly and Labor were pounding me about supposed integrity issues that went on and on and on and on and they never produced anything because there was nothing and at a particular point in the at, at a particular point and things were not going well for us right this is the point I was making negative campaigns work Jonathan because they'd been pounding on and a particular journalist who was brave enough to continue to ask the premier well what have you got what have you got and finally Bly said I don't have anything but I've got these questions now that that illustrates my point at that point, the pendulum had gone that way to Labor. My personal you know, standing was greatly diminished from being the popular Lord Mayor of Brisbane. But at that moment, it was like the pendulum let go and it swung. When that, when that went to air, suddenly the whole community was like the light bulb went on and they went, yeah, this is bull. Yeah, And it was bull. And that's when we came, we swept through and we ended up winning a landslide election. Now... That just illustrates that the care, that the right way to pitch an argument, the right choice of words can be profoundly important in politics. And I mean, some of the great political leaders, people like Churchill or, or, or Roosevelt, you know, um, both Roosevelts were able, to, were able to do that. And I wish we'd see some of that in Australia. And, you know, um, with the right words by Scott Morrison could have shamed state premiers for the brutality that they were doing. If he talked about families being kept apart, people being prevented from earning a living, if it, you know, and that's by the way, surely a Christian would take a stand and say it's wrong for people to lose their livelihoods because they won't be forced to get a vaccine. Surely that's a, that was a Christian thing to do. That's a really interesting example of a, a sort of moment involving the media sounds like it had a profound impact in shaping the election and it, it mm. makes me recall that infamous handshake between mark latham and john it, howard that seemed to really point. yeah like it really did seem to shift the whole election at it, that it, point absolutely well, that's a, that's a, i'll remember that that's another great point there i mean sometimes it's not even words it's just yeah. just an action yeah sometimes it's a really mm. strange overly aggressive <laughs> which I think put off a lot of women from memory yeah. from the discussion but the you know this brings in in the media and there's, there's so many ways to ask this question but just let me let me ask it like this do you think the media today is a help or a hindrance for politicians because obviously that intrepid journalist helps you clearly politicians have to communicate through the media you can't mm. do no media and win an election I'm assuming but then there are so many, um, in my view, bad thing, bad habits and tendencies about the media, and perhaps some of this has to do with the turmoil and disruption um, going on. But from the point of view of someone that's been a premier, you're literally about to enter into a formal campaign. That you may even be campaigning by the time this comes out. I mean, what's what's your view on the media and its role in democracy in its current strange state? Oh, look, it's it's help and hindrance. Um, but my overall comment is I wish they'd do a better job. I think they're doing a really lousy job. I think, um, 
you know, if I just go across, you know, seven and nine are presenting McNews. Um, <laughs> I haven't heard you know, that before. Dumb, I like dumb, that. <laughs> yeah, dumb down McNews. Do you want fries with that? Um, you know, coming up next after the break, you know, it just, just it, it don't want to get to the bottom of issues. The ABC have been, and again, another Morrison failing. The ABC are even worse than they were in 2019 and feel, I'm sure, totally unfettered to just push agendas. So there's always the agenda of, there's always the ABC standard agendas we pushed in any news bulletin, you know, climate change, um, you, you name it, there's all these things. And they don't seem to, uh, they don't seem to show any sort of uh, sign that they will, they will turn that around. You know, I'd be I'd be delighted to come on the ABC and talk about climate change and why um, it's a massive overreaction. But look, that's as an aside. Newspapers, you know, um, do a much better job. Um, and you know, I, I I guess my my thought for for journalists is, you know, in an era of fake news, to be a professional journalist in a professional news organisation that gets the facts right, that's worth paying for. People will pay for that. And that's their unique, that's their, you know, my line of work in business, that's the unique selling proposition for, for a news organisation. So uh, I, I guess my final point on the media is they really, you know, they might lament, you know, the politicians we've got. Well, my experience being with a minor party now is if if you're not in, if you're not in the Labor Party or the, the LNP slash Liberal Party, you ain't going to get any airtime, period. So how do people know? Um, so people people um, just will never know about the other choices. In this election, you know, I'm, I'm seeing that, you know, once again, it's just the two-party uh, duopoly being presented to people. So always tough for minor parties, isn't it, to get any well, airtime? Well, look, it is. It's, it is. And, you know, I'm, you know um, it's, it's, um, it's quite interesting. It's quite interesting. Just, just on, uh, you know, coming back to the the minor parties, I, I did. I am doing a little bit of circling back as as we uh, <laughs> work our way to the the end of this conversation. But uh, you know, with the the whole COVID period, the the freedoms that were withdrawn, the whole freedom movement, the freedom convoy to Canberra, a lot of emphasis on talk on freedom. Even in my anecdotal experience, a lot of people I'd say were probably coalition voters, centre-right, maybe sort of card-carrying conservative conservatives seem to, this COVID has been a kind of watershed moment for them. And I sense a lot of them have, are now looking for the Freedom Party. <laughs> and so they're open or maybe completely on board with a more libertarian view and a sense that something has got to be done about even this coalition um, government. And so I wonder... This goes back to that once in a generation libertarian moment. You know, if I look through the broad sweep of Australian history, I mean, libertarianism has never really been a prominent part of the tradition mm. of Australia as it has in America. Um, if now is not the opportunity for the Liberal Democrats, I don't know when it is. Do you sense there is a bit of a kind of libertarian tide? Do you sense that um, there's a lot more people? open to the option of a minor party or particularly on the centre-right looking for a minor party and maybe this is something you can or can't can't answer and I would understand if you can't but are we going to see Liberal Democrats in the federal parliament again do you think at the end of this election? 
Look, I think I think that freedom thing and liberty, the liberty thing is going to feature in the election, but it's a crowded space, it's a contested space, and so Clive Palmer's gone really big on it, yeah. as you know, and one nation yeah, as well. It's Paul and Hanson has, and you know we are there as well. So I think there's a lot of competition in that space, and I don't think it's it's clear cut on that. Um, I, I think there are a lot of people who are disaffected LNP in Queensland who are supporting us, um, probably not as much on that liberty front, but because they're just dismayed about a government which is acting as labour light and all the things we've been talking about um, in this discussion uh, today. I think that's more what's driving it. Uh, and by the way, I mean, what are we offering that's up here in our campaign? I mean, really what I'm saying to people is, look, you might not like Campbell Newman, but you have to acknowledge that, you know, that I get things done. You know, I'm, 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 I'm a doer. Um, and so that's, um, that's part of the pitch. Another part of the pitch is that, you know, I'm actually a real leader. I'm authentic. Um, and um, we've actually got a policy suite. So the other minor parties uh, don't have a comprehensive policy brief um, or position as, as we've been discussing with the Freedom Manifesto. So that's how we're sort of conducting ourselves up here. Um, I, I don't think the campaign actually is going to be too much about COVID. I think that's rapidly diminishing in people's mm-hmm. um, minds. I think it's going to be on economic factors like cost of living and uh, perhaps about the external security issue as well. Um, um, and I've thought that for a long time, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've got two questions to bring this to a close. They're pretty uh, straightforward. But I've always wanted to ask someone who's not just a politician, but someone that has held high office. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it that Australian voters most misunderstand about politicians and politics? Motives. Motives. Oh, they, 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 they just don't get. Well, well, maybe I'm arguing against what I've said for the last hour and hour or more. But I actually look. I, I think the Australians have a really have the wrong impression about why people are doing this stuff. Generally speaking, um, and you know, I, I, I wish they would get to know their political candidates or leaders better before they make judgments. I mean, in the last few years, I think the Trump thing and fake news, you know, which he's, you know, he, he really, he minted that. Um, I think people probably are more suspicious about the media than they've ever been before. But why then do they still believe the stuff the media say? I mean, I, I could I could say, show you emails that I've had from people who were LNP type supporters um, and they're not supporters of mine, I can tell you that. But the stuff they seem to think or believe, it's just, it's it's just it's just not true. Mm. And uh, so it's 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 the sort of the suspicions of the motivations of people, rather than to try to really get to know them. Um, that that sort of it actually, yeah. I'll I'll be upfront. It sort of bothers me. It's it's like you know I. I always went in, you know, I'm a, I'm a normal guy, an engineer, ex-army officer, businessman. I went into politics to build some tunnels in Brisbane. 
to fix the road network up, to build bridges across the river as well. That's why I did it. Um, along the way, I ended up getting into the state sphere, didn't set, out, didn't set out to be Premier, didn't want to be a politician particularly, wanted to get things done. And yet it's like the, the motives ascribed to me are nowhere near that. Oh, so, okay. you know, that's, yeah, it's people that, well, you know, you wanted to be, you wanted to have power or you, you wanted lots of money. <laughs> you know, money? You've got to be joking. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, see what, them, I see what you're saying. Well, there's a whole lot of them that are paid way too much for, given given their, their limited capabilities. Yeah. Yeah. But then there are some that, that, that are worth every penny, you know. Um, so I guess the fundamental problem is even when you're a high-profile public figure like yourself, a Premier, you probably get recognised walking around the streets of Brisbane, I imagine. Um, you know, people don't really know you personally. No, they don't. But, but they, they think, they they, think, they, 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 think they do. They think they know you. Yeah, they think yeah. they know you. And, of course, they've come up with their own interpretation about Campbell Newman based on a couple of press conferences, policy. Well, based on, well, based on the media. The classic media coverage of the Newman government was something like this, Jonathan. Today, the Premier announced uh, X, Y, Z. But here's Sally from Smithfield, and she says, it's a crap idea. And here's John <laughs> from the union movement, and he says, this government is clueless. And here's, here's Tom from the, from the ALP opposition, and they say it's a really stupid idea. Here's another, here's another, here's another uh, clip from the Premier going blah, 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 and then it, it, the wind-up is another negative. Yeah. Now, when you when you curate the news like that, you're deliberately you're deliberately trying to do over the government, and that's the way um, that we were treated. I mean, I'll give you an example. <laughs> it's old wounds here. We myself and Lawrence Springborg, who's the president of the LNP in Queensland, by the way, was an outstanding health minister, did a great job. Um, but he and I went to the PA hospital to make an announcement uh, that by um, a time six months from that date, we would completely clear the backlog of people uh, waiting for uh, cataract and glaucoma treatment, right? So that was the announcement. So we made the announcement, here's the funding, six months, set a hard date, it will be cleared. And um, uh, I, uh, the media all listened to that uh, and I said, any questions? Uh, about this, uh, silence. And I said, well, any other questions? Uh, Mr. Newman, Premier, Premier Newman, um, today Clive Palmer said you have a mental health problem and you haven't been taking your medication. Would you care to comment? <laughs> now, can I tell you what got on the news that last night? Well, to their credit, the ABC actually did cover the substantive announcement. The 7, 9 and 10 story was Newman denies claims of mental health problem. Oh, my goodness. Now, like, you know, can I just say, for those journos who did that story, you know, hang your heads in shame. I mean, that's what you're serving up to Australians. That's the state of where we are. It's wrong. Shouldn't be happening. You stand condemned. By the way, at least two of those journos are now working for the Premier. Oh, interesting. <laughs> in media, yeah. So you know, that's, that's, that's what Australians need to know. So I go back to, you know, Try and make your own mind up about your politicians. And that's why, the way, by the way, I really appreciate doing your podcast today because long form, I can dig a long form podcast, I can dig a hole all the way through to Beijing. 
you know, I really can. But at least people know what I'm actually saying as opposed to what, what Chat 7, 9, 10 and the ABC wanted you to know. Yeah, well, I think people get a much better look at who yeah, you are yeah, yeah. through a, a much longer conversation. And, I mean, that, that kind of immature media coverage, it, it does a real disservice to people because they're just wasting time with nonsense when people need to sort of hear what the Premier is doing. They can make their own judgment, but to not even report a significant policy. They outcome. did not even. So if you Incredible. were, say, in your 60s or 70s or 80s in Queensland waiting for glaucoma treatment or your cataracts to be removed, you didn't get to find that out. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 just appalling, really. So it's a, tr- it's yeah. a true story. Well, well I, can, I can believe it. I don't, <laughs> I don't have a problem believing it. The... Uh, Speaking of long-form podcasts, we do need to bring this to a close. No worries. And I, and I don't want to end on a negative uh, note, but you 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 strike me as a very positive person. I mean, you're running again after <laughs> the bruising um, yeah, business that's, of being that's, in politics. Yeah. And that relates to this question because you, you've had a pretty extraordinary career. And correct me if I get the details wrong because I was looking at this from afar, but you definitely made headlines outside of Queensland with what was a pretty sensational arrival, because I think you weren't even in the parliament and you ran as opposition leader from outside. outside. This is unheard of. Won a smashing victory. Mm. And you did say you're a doer and your doing was controversial, but that's because you really did. It was a a sort of a significant reform agenda, I I take it, and you did a lot of Mm. things in three years. And then you had, a, in a way, an equally sensational (laughs) loss. I think it was a pretty... Mm. uh, significant um and loss and clearly well well, well, it was, well here's the thing it was a significant loss from the perspective of we had such a huge um majority and yeah, okay. you know the narrative is well he, he he blew it well by definition you know yeah i did i take responsibility for that but you know the way i actually look at though is that we made so many um quite difficult decisions, controversial decisions. We had a lot of fights with interest groups. And, you know, in, in a way it's remarkable that we we, narrow, we actually narrowly lost. So we didn't okay. like, okay. you know, so like the two-party preferred might have been, well, I can't even remember now, but it was we got 41.3, the Labor Party got 37.5. Yep. Those were primary votes. Um, and... You know, it the, the well take 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 it like try this one when when Steve Marshall in South Australia won his first election, he didn't get a primary vote as high as what we had when we lost in 2015. So these things are narrow. These things are quite finely balanced. Um, what troubles me more though is since then the LNP have gone backwards. Their primary vote now is around. 36 mm-hmm. percent and that's because they don't stand for anything yeah i guess i guess that you make a very pertinent point about the fact that in a preferential voting system you do always have to factor in the primary vote versus the two-party because it can in a way skew the perception of what is a big win in, in a big loss but the thing thing i want to ask you actually is you know i think we can take it for granted that losing is disappointing and hurts mm. Clearly, you're you're having another crack. You're passionate. You're you're deeply engaged in politics. You speak like um, I can't think of any other former premier that, that speaks so openly about what it's like to be premier. And 
the cut and thrust of what you didn't ask. You didn't really ask me. It's bloody awful. <laughs> well, well, this, well, well, yeah, yeah. I, I can assume it was bloody awful. But, but the, the question I want to ask is, how do you pick yourself up? How do you get over? How do you deal oh. with a loss, loss like that? Oh, like it's that. Very public as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm okay. Reflections on losing in 2015. So, from a personal perspective, I got my life back. Uh, I got to be with my wife, who I ideally love. Uh, unfortunately, my kids basically were, you know, one one child had left, and the other one was in her final years, um, was was going into university. So I missed out on a, uh, you know, that sort of precious time when they were at school. Um, but I got my life back, and that was fantastic. So it was an incredible feeling of freedom. So from a personal perspective, it was actually really okay. It was mm-hmm. fine. Um, I was disappointed about the many really good MPs who lost their jobs who worked really hard. And, you know, one of the natures of political parties is the political time servers, the hacks, the insiders, they get the safe seats. Mm. They're still there. The really good people were all in the marginal seats. The people who rallied to the flag in 2011, 2012, they lost their seats. So I was really upset for them. But I just got on with my life and I was back in business, which I love being in business. So, uh, you know, it, it's not, you know, I don't, I don't really, I don't have too many problems with it. The only problem, probably the hurtful thing has been, which has probably come through, the hurtful thing is the way the LNP ran away from their own track record. As a result, they've lost two elections, which they blame. <laughs> They blame me for the Labor Party have run big on me up here, and the LNP. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've I've been a feature of the twenty seventeen and is it twenty seventeen? Um. Anyway, twenty 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 uh, state elections. So I've been. What is I've that? Been, a kind of you know we don't want to go back to the Campbell Newman. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That's what I was saying. You know, they were de- they were terrible days, Jonathan. Terrible days. Twenty twelve, twenty fifteen. Sounds horrific. Dark days. I don't, know, I don't know how Queensland survives. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, even with the lower taxes and high-performing hospitals and no ambulance ramping and, you know, um, some fantastic projects that were started. You know, anyway, I, I, I could go on. But so those are sort of my observations on it. But, look, I'm a very robust individual. I just sort of kept going with my life and I've had a lot of fun. And to do this now, by the way, I don't mind sharing with you, I, I, I need this like a hole in the head, mate. Yeah, but viewers shouldn't underestimate my resolve. You know, I'm, I'm. It's like I'm being summoned back to serve. That's the way I feel. I have to do this. It's about going down to Canberra and doing the things I've said um, to you today about particularly holding people to account. That's why I'm doing it. Um, I much prefer, from a personal point of view, to continue in business. I've got great business partners. I love what I do. I love looking after my investors. You know, that's what I prefer to be doing, but I've got to do this. Cam, well, I think that's a great note to end off. You've been very generous with your time because I know you must have a very busy schedule. Uh, appreciate your frankness, as I've said. It's been a really interesting conversation and I know, well, I can only imagine how tough the political game is and this is not your first time in the circus and so i i do have a sort of baseline of respect and admiration that's not popular in australia for all people that uh throw their hat in the ring of politics because uh, i know it comes with great sacrifice like you say 
you're getting a hole in your head that you do you don't need so at a personal level i wish you every success thanks jonathan i really appreciate uh, the, the time you've given me today